Hello and welcome to the Kasuf Revenue Radio Podcast, where we bring information to you, the healthcare practice manager, the physician, and business owner to enhance your business of medicine. We're powered by Kasuf and Kasuf Healthcare Solutions. Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Dance. I'm the uh, executive director of Kasuf Healthcare Solutions. I'm also your host today for our Revenue Radio podcast. I have the unique opportunity at times in our business to uh, build strong networks of resources and subject matter experts that assist our clients in our managed services organization with various operational uh, matters. All of these are designed to bring value and, again, enhance your, uh, your business in your healthcare practice. Today, we are diving into the world of healthcare real estate and uh, how that impacts your practice, your business, some of the choices that you will need to uh, consider uh, for your strategic planning now and, and going forward. Uh, we also got Russ Dorsey with me today, who's uh, manning the booth and the, the board. And Russ, thanks as always for making it a smooth uh, podcast for us. Oh. Glad to be here on such a beautiful day, too. Yeah, it's raining outside, but um, um, and we're warm inside. But, <laughs> hey, we've got today uh, Richard Tidwell with us today. Richard and I have a long-standing relationship. Uh, Richard is a commercial real estate agent here in Alabama, uh, based in Birmingham. And uh, Richard specializes in healthcare. That's all you do, if I uh, know that correctly. That's correct. So um, I want to, to bring Richard in for a couple segments as we talk about this whole real estate uh, idea as it relates to healthcare practices, um, some of the things that uh, business owners, business managers in a, in a physician's practice need to think about. Uh, as uh, as they you know go through their whether they own the building where they rent it where they're thinking about moving relocating what's the renewal process we're going to get into all of those little right. uh, finer points uh, as it relates to uh, to these these real estate questions so tell us a little bit about your background Richard what you do what's kind of a core competency that you bring to the table especially in this idea of healthcare commercial real estate. Sure. Uh, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me here and uh, really love working with Kasuf and your clients. Um, yeah, so the commercial real estate uh, world is, is very vast, um, but what we, uh, and I specifically have found that if you can um, really get a niche in a particular market, um, and what I've chosen to do is, is to work in the healthcare side of that niche when it comes to commercial real estate. So um, doing that allows you to be um, uh, pretty much the professional uh, in, in working with these types of practices, which is why we work so much together. Um, so one of the core competencies, competencies of what we do or what I do is that, um, you know, I work specifically with healthcare practices, um, whether it's a startup, uh, whether it's a relocation, uh, if I'm negotiating a lease uh, that's current or a new lease, um, a ground-up construction build, uh, if someone wants to add locations, if you've got a practice that you want to sell and there's a real estate component, uh, I'm dealing with the acquisition of the real estate. Um, but more specifically, I do that on a buyer-tenant side. 
Um, so that allows me to really focus in on one side of the transaction and, and ultimately gives me a complete fiduciary with my client, um, your client, my client, uh, the healthcare practice or the, you know, the healthcare professional uh, to represent their best interests. So we, I found that um, that's really a, not the only way to do it and not necessarily better than any other, but it's the way that, that um, we've really discovered works best for the healthcare uh, industry when it comes to uh, negotiating commercial real estate. Why do you think um, a lot of practices or practice managers, even the physicians themselves, um, tend to maybe shy away or don't know about using or think about using a, a real estate agent? I uh, don't want to kind of just use a generic term, sure, but sure. you know, someone like yourself that uh, might know the market but isn't leveraged right. and, and activated in the decision-making process. Right. I think um, a lot of it comes down to just what you said, not understanding, right? So um, a lot of the times, you know, a practice manager has so much going on uh, and they're trying to literally manage the entire practice. And so when you get to the real estate component, uh, which is typically either their first or second largest expense, um, uh, they just don't understand what's available to them. And they don't understand how important it is to have someone like myself that does nothing but negotiate for healthcare practices and, and knows the market completely. So I think a lot of it is just simply not knowing, uh, not being top of mind, uh, them not, uh, them thinking that there's a fee that's going to be charged, which again, because I'm, you know, uh, I represent buyers and tenants, we can talk about that more, but there's not a fee that I charge. Uh, and then I think sometimes it also comes down to a practice manager feels that there's a value add that they have maybe to their practice. Maybe they're getting paid and they think this is a way that I, you know, show my value mm -hmm. to the practice, which there's a way that, you know, that I address that as well. So I think a lot of it just comes to not knowing what's available uh, and thinking that they have to do it on their own because that's how it's been done by so many practices. Right. So we all know healthcare is a very tight margin business. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, we're all aware of the contractual arrangement. You don't necessarily get what you charge. And right. so we're all watching those those margins and those numbers. And a fee-conscious practice or physician or business mm -hmm. owner, manager, we're all watching those. Uh, that fear is, oh, my gosh, here comes someone else with their hand out. Right. And uh, that's not typical with you. That's not how you, you operate. So Correct. kind of tell us a little bit about that fiduciary that you mentioned and sure. and the value that you do bring, especially on a, from a uh, you know time value of money perspective right. and right. how am I best and highest use of my time as the practice manager. And I've got a Richard out there who's, who's helping me kind of go through some of those anecdotes, if you don't mind. Right. So, uh, uh, again, because I'm, I represent buyers and tenants uh, in the healthcare practices when it comes to their leases or their purchases, um, traditionally, just like in, if you thought about it from a residential perspective, you go and buy a house uh, and you bring your agent with you to help you look at houses, um, there's an agent on the other side of the table, typically when someone's selling a house. Not always, some for sale by owners, but most of the time there's an agent on the other side of the table. So, same way in my world, when I'm representing the buyers and the tenants, there's an agent on the other side of the table. Uh, most landlords, most sellers have someone working on their behalf, an agent that has a fiduciary completely and solely to the seller or the landlord. 
which means that, and there's usually a misconception from people who don't do this from a living, is that, well, there's an agent involved, so we're being taken care of. Well, you're not, because that agent has a fiduciary to the landlord to make the most money for them, to the seller to make the most money for them, not to the buyer, right? So as the representation, I go to the table and represent my clients to make sure that they're getting a a fair market or better than fair market deal, negotiating terms that most people would never know they can even negotiate. And I'm doing that with no fee to my clients. Now, I've had to rebrand the way I say that because a lot of times if I say, you know, my services are free, it, it, it cheapens what I'm actually doing. So there is a, there is a fee because what I do is not free. But the great thing is for our clients um, that they don't pay it, right? It yeah. comes from the landlord who already has a pre-negotiated uh, commission typically uh, with their agent. And all I'm doing is coming in representing my client with that fiduciary completely to my client, not to the landlord or the seller. And I'm splitting the fee that's already going to be paid to the other agent, whether there's someone that comes to the table or not. So a lot of times the the ploy by a a savvy landlord or agent would be, well, hey, if you don't bring anybody to the table, we'll save you 3 or 4% by not having to pay an agent. Well, that's a complete lie. Uh, because they're still going to pay their 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 agent the same commission, and they're they're understanding that most, if not all, people who come to the table who don't do this for a living are going to give up a lot of concessions and a lot of negotiating points because they don't know what to negotiate. So um, that's why even if I charged a fee, um, and in in Jeff, you're you can attest to this to to the savings that a lot of the clients that we work with, if not most that I work with, what they end up saving, it would still be worth it. To them, right? right, about the money that they save off the practice, but even better, I don't charge a fee to them. Right, right. <clears throat> the, the, the fees are going to be there regardless. Sure. Absolutely. And it's a matter of – and you're not, again, working with a time clock That's right. um, That's right. type of thing that you're going to – the client would see That's a correct. bill each month. Never sent one. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, <clears throat> boy, all kinds of questions come to mind, and – as we're thinking through this and you know the practice manager all the pressures on the time and just pulling at you constantly you're out there working for the client right you're working for that tenant that one that is trying to get the get the lease going and such or renegotiated Mm -hmm. find this place all of those the time that that takes uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the just the research that you do for sure. a client to find that right spot. Right, right. Yeah, probably the mm-hmm. easiest thing that I do is is finding the space. Um, uh, does it take time? Sure, but but over <clears throat> years in the market, years and years in the market, uh, I'm very familiar with that market as 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 with in other markets. So that eliminates a lot of the time from all the back work that's been done over the years of negotiating multiple spaces for tenants. And they only, of course, take one space. So I have right. all these other spaces or buildings or, or leases that have been negotiated, but they didn't take that particular one. So I have all of those in my resources and in my files so that I can say, hey, based off of these needs, this would be a great fit. I know kind of what we can get, you know, from a negotiating standpoint on this. So a lot of it is back work. Um, but it, and if a practice manager tried to take this on, it, it, you know, you would basically be starting from scratch every time, right? right. So uh, you could spend 50, 100 hours minimum, you know, doing the right things, you know, finding the right space, negotiating, uh, and then paying a lot of different uh, parties to do some of the things that I would, you know, do, again, for, for no fee. Um, so that's a big um, uh, basically, uh, 
piece of the puzzle that I can take off of a practice manager or a doctor who's trying to do it on their own and just take that off their plate because, again, I've done so much back research in the market. Yeah, and if I were sitting with my practice management colleagues, I'd say don't try to be uh, so ego-driven that you want to come off looking like you're the one who saved the day. Use your resources. Use someone who knows the market. Sure. Um, man, we're, we've worked on situations where it's one of those, I need such and such, and this is what I'm thinking. Oh, well, I've already started talking to that. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, landlord yeah. type of situation. And right. um, uh, again, I think from my perspective, um, it is refreshing to have someone on your side yeah. that can go and find these things and help. It doesn't always work out. Right. And sometimes I, I, I'm sure you've probably said there's nothing more I can do. Right. We can only get to this point. That's right. You got a really good rate. I mean, though, we're not we're not forcing things. Um, so good. So really, just helping out with the time, being a resource. Um, one of the things that I always say is, you know, I don't want a salesperson. I want a resource. I want somebody that can provide me information, help me, and get through an advocate, facilitator, and such like that. What are when, when uh, there's there's some paperwork that's involved in a mm-hmm. process to get someone like you started uh, in in representing a relationship like that. Right. Uh, that's kind of the legal side of things. Right. What are some other things that you like to do with your clients to just get the process started? Right. Great question. So uh, what I what I like to do with every client is I, I like to uh, sit down with them um, mm-hmm. and just talk to them about their vision for the practice. Um, you know, it's not, it, in my opinion, to really understand some of these transactions and what needs to happen with a practice, especially if they're wanting a new location or to grow, um, or even if they're in a, in a place they've been for 10 or 15 years, is go, well, what is your vision for the practice? Like, what is your 5, 10, 15-year vision for your practice? And so those types of questions when they're answering them, which most people don't ask them other than, you know, folks like you who are really invested in their practice, Outside of that, most most people don't ask them those questions, and that really gets them to kind of open up and and really dream a little bit. You know, I want them to dream. It, it sounds cheesy, but I mean, it, it's this is their livelihood, this is their practice, it's what they've gone to school for, you know, for so long to do, and so there needs to be some vision uh, for that practice. And so I want them to, to to answer those questions, which then helps me to go, you know, to be able to assess, you know, where they need to go, what area that would be a, a great place for them to go. The terms, um, you know, the link, what just in, in general, what they want to do with their practice. So I like that's one of the most important things to me to really start the process, and I do that before there's any paperwork signed, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I wanted them to know this is not about just finding a space. Uh, this is about what what is best for their practice. What's going to put them in a position where they want to be five, ten, fifteen years from now? Um, and there's a lot of different factors that go into that. So when you think about that and you you have the client really start putting down on paper a wish list, mm-hmm. you know, what do you want? Right. How, how do you, well, I want flat parking. I want free parking. I want this type of entrance. I want, I mean, all those little things. Um, I want to be in a retail space. I don't, you know, right. where, um, where, do, where do you want to be as it relates to the, the market um, side of, of, the, of the business? Um, 
you know, again, a lot of what I see you helping with is really understanding the difference between what somebody could do on their own and what you can do for them and with them. Right. And um, what kind of, again, is there market research that you can bring and say you might want to pay attention to this side of town versus this? And Sure. How does that conversation typically work? Right, right. So, you know, depending on the client, um, if they want a real in-depth market uh, search, uh, you know, from a demographic and, a, and, a, and a, a printout of where they should put their practice, absolutely have access to those um, types of things. And I think those are valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most valuable thing is, uh, you know, obviously having someone who knows the market very well. Um, because deeper than some of the demographics, I think when you get in very specific, you know, especially like if you get into the dental uh, practice and, and some that uh, there's a you know ratio per you know number of uh, the population per right. what a dentist should go in. Because if you notice, dentists will go in, you know, five and, and a six square blocks based off of the population. So I think those are very important things and heat mapping and traffic and all those sort of things that, that I will look into personally. And if a, if a client wants a print out of that, I can absolutely do it. Um, but I think, you know, more invaluable is just the, the years of understanding what is moving, you know, what, what, what is flowing in and out? What is, what is the projection? What are we hearing behind the scenes about a development coming in this area and how this is going to transition here and what, you know, those, those are the things I think that, um, they're not necessarily things you can track on a, on a, on a heat map or a demographic Mm -hmm. printout. But again, those things are very, are very valuable and we can, you know, I can provide those for a client as well, but just understanding the market is the most important thing and again if they don't if you don't do it for a living as practice managers and doctors don't do they're not going to they may catch a word or whisper here and there but not really know the full scope of what's happening in a market so that segues into kind of the the basics of what what has to happen right and uh, we've got our list we kind of know where we want to be we understand what the per square footage um, lease rate's going to be and all of those kind of, again, just the things that we know. Mm -hmm. Well, then we run into these terms such as triple net, full service, (laughs) net, 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 Mm -hmm. whatever. Can you give us a little bit of a quick and easy way to remember those things as we're dealing with leases? Sure. You know, the the fun stuff, the interesting stuff that everybody really wants to know, right? I just Um, like the full service because it's everything. It it sounds great too, right? Full service. I mean, who doesn't want full service, (laughs) right? If I go to a resort, I want full service, (laughs) right? right. Um, Yeah. So so some of the basics, you know, triple nets versus full services, uh, full service leases, uh, you see modified gross leases, you see all these different terminologies Mm -hmm. that are used within a lease. Um, and you know, if it's important to understand for the, the client, as we explain it, that's great. And so, uh, the basics b- between a triple net and a full service lease, and we don't have to go into all the modified and everything else, really, it's just the, it typically comes down to the landlord or REIT and what they've historically done. Right. So if you've got an old school landlord, uh, who, who loves a particular type of lease, most of the time we see them kind of leaning towards full service, right? Cause they know it's an easy number for them to put out there, an easy number to market, because typically it includes everything, right? Well, it doesn't include everything, which is why someone like me knows the right questions to ask. So if they say a full service lease, let's just throw a number out there and they're advertising, 
you know, lease space at $20 a square foot mm-hmm. FSG, right? Full service gross. Um, that would typically incorporate what we would see on the triple net side, which are the taxes, insurance, maintenance costs, right? right? So they're factored into that number. We don't know what their base operating number is. It could be $5 a foot that they own the building that they're operating at, or it could be $15, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't know that number per se, but we know that the full service includes the taxes, insurance, and typically maintenance costs. But there's usually a CAM on top of that, not always. And then and a lot of so times... we said it, CAM, we got to make sure right. we, everybody knows. Common area the, maintenance right. costs. So that's if you're in an office building, <laughs> there's the shared space, there's the bathrooms, there's the parking lot, there's the landscaping, right. the electricity. Those costs are passed on to the tenants, and it's based, your amount that you pay is based off of how much square footage you lease, right? Mm-hmm. And it's broken down on a percentage. So with a full-service gross lease, those numbers are typically included. The only things that they will typically not include that we would ask those questions are, again, what does it not include? So janitorial is usually not included. Sometimes it is. Uh, you know, your your electricity, your, your gas, your water, those are things that are not always included, you know, in that particular space in a full-service lease. Mm-hmm. And we would ask those questions because sometimes they'll tell you, oh, it includes everything but Internet. Because you just don't know. Every every right. landlord and agent and does something different, okay? Now, on the other side of that, we have triple net leases. So typically, let's use the same number. They say it's a triple net lease at $20 a square foot. Well, I then ask the question, what are your triple nets? Which are your taxes, insurance, and, and maintenance costs, mm-hmm. right? And so they could be anywhere from $2 a square foot, and I've seen them as high in Birmingham sometimes at $13 a square foot, Right based off of the type of building, the amount of vacancy that's in the building, and, you know, the cost and how they've been negotiated. Because those costs are a landlord or the, or the management company's obligation to negotiate. Uh, how much their landscaping is going to cost, uh, how much, you know, repaving this or, or fixing that's going to cost, and that's a pass-through expense to the tenant. It's not a uh, it's not a, a profit for the for the landlord. It's a pass through expense. So the next question would be, right, Jeff? Which one's better? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's not really a better. It's it's um, there are pros and cons to each. So with a triple net lease, if you've got a um, you know a landlord who's negotiating the cost right. Um, you will see sometimes that if they're overestimating the cost at the end of the year or the end of the quarter, however they um, bill, you would you could potentially see a reimbursement, right? An overage that you paid that you would get back. Whereas with a full service lease, you don't always see that because we don't know what the operating number is, and they sometimes overestimate or underestimate, and they eat the cost. The landlord does if they don't estimate enough, right? If it's a full service lease, and then what they do is the next year they reamortize or restructure, um, you know, those services or those costs for the next lease year, which is something we negotiate as well, which is the, the correct base rent year right. for a full service lease. And that's where you typically see that invoice that comes in after the fact. Right. Um, one of my clients, we've got that operation expense um, uh, situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, at the kind of near the end of that quarter, I'm constantly checking in. How are we doing? You know, do I need to start watching the the air and the lights, right. HVAC, right, all right. of that a little bit closer? Uh, fortunately, we've got some good folks in that practice that that are uh, frugal and, and 
uh, and pay attention to right. those things and not just crank the air up all the way, you know, <laughs> over the weekend and right. the middle of summer um, where it's freezing when you walk in on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. But um, that's that's just a partnership with everybody understanding that we just got to pay attention to all those expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, to ask you which one you favor over the other, I, I, I favor say a full it, service it, lease yeah, always, yeah. It's but always uh, the there's pros easiest. and cons. Right, 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 right. Uh, but even in the other where you've got, where you're sort of paying the the yard person or, or landscaping and such, you don't necessarily have a say-so in because you're not going to have four or five landscapers Correct. out there. So that's yep. it's staying in good communication with the property manager and the landlord. Right. Um, yeah, how, one's, how one's a little bit the, more open-ended, you know, and, and maybe a little bit more transparent sure. from a triple net, whereas a full service, you just know it's it's taken care of and, and um, it's a little bit less uh, obvious of right. where the expenses are, right. for sure. Just real quick, how, how much uh, in involvement do you have with, the uh, property management group or the landlord if it if he or she or that entity is doing all that and the tenant kind of even after the the uh, transaction takes place and the lease is in place and such sure um not you know it not a lot um we we hope that those things are negotiated correctly up front so mm-hmm. you know if there's a question that a that a client has that says hey listen this was said or negotiated okay. but uh this is what's happening then i'm going to to delve into all right well what did the lease say what did we negotiate right. and then i can follow up at that point and say look you know mr landlord this is negotiating the lease you need you've got to hold by the terms of the lease and these things are not lining up with what what was negotiated for mm-hmm. sure. So that's that's really the extent of it. And then, you know, just making sure that everything's negotiated up front is the most important part of, you know, before signing that contract, right. it's got to be right. Yep. You've got to consult, you know, your team. Like a SOOF, we need to make sure an attorney's reviewed the lease, that everything, you know, mm-hmm. looks right and is, is what we negotiated in the terms of the letter of intent. Yep, good. Well, we've got a, a few more minutes uh, on this session. And our second uh, time around, I want to uh, to kind of get into some of those war stories and some other st- strategic kind of things that that one might uh, consider. But uh, as as we wrap up uh, today, a few more just uh, basics, if you will. What are some of the real landmines you you look for? Would caution someone that's looking at a lease. Not that we need to, um, you know, just get the lease and. Hey, I listen to this podcast, so I'm now an expert because you've, you've spent <laughs> a lot of time at this. But we all work together. Right. You you see things that I didn't see, vice versa. Um, what are what are some of those landmines that you really try to pick up first and foremost uh, when you when you get a term sheet or or the actual lease? Right. Um, so going back to to having a um, experienced real estate attorney is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, consulting your team that you're working with and then making sure that you have a real estate attorney that actually, you know, a lot of times what we'll hear is clients say, well, I have an attorney. Well, they, they're a divorce attorney, right? Or they're, right. A, you know, they've, they've done a real estate deal before, right? So the first thing we want to do is make sure that they understand real estate, they understand their practice, 
and that they understand really what their place is, and that is to make sure that the legal parts of the contract are uh, no more advantageous than the landlord than they should be because every contract, every lease is written in favor of the landlord. It's mm-hmm. not written in yep. favor <clears throat> of the tenant, right? right. Uh, so we want to make sure that there's nothing out of the ordinary first and that the terms of the letter of intent that we've negotiated line up with the contract. Uh, and some of those things within you know the contract that we're going to make sure <clears throat> that could be landmines are, first of all, I want to make sure that they if there's a build-out included, in other words, if they're going into a new space, uh, or their space needs to be rehabbed, that there's enough time within that lease that gives them build-out time. So that, in other words, they're not going in, if they need four months of build-out, they're not in the space and paying rent the first month, right? right? They need to be at least four months out, if not longer, so that that way they're not paying when they're not making revenue, when there's no revenue right. coming in. So we want to make sure that's negotiated. We want to make sure that there's free rent even over and above the build-out time to give them some cushion, especially if it's a new practice, starting a new practice, that they have some time to settle in and start you know, seeing patients and the, the time it takes to move into a space or rehab the space. Uh, and then going back to the CAM stop, making sure that there's a there's – a, um, what we would say was a CAM expense stop. or there's, In other words, the, the landlord can't have an unlimited ability to continue right. to raise – uh, you know what their expenses are, and so there's a there's an expense stop basically that's negotiated in the lease. Uh, outside of that, there's a lot of variables that we negotiate, but from a landmine that usually gets overlooked, and then a base year if it's a full service gross that we're making sure that the base year is based off of the year they're either moving in or the following year, so that way that there's a good um, average that they're seeing when they're coming into to paying their lease. Um, those are some of the landmines that are kind of outside the box that we see that mm-hmm. we want to be paid attention to, and they're almost always overlooked. And getting those building policies and procedures, knowing what you're getting into, right. where you can't, what you can and can't do. Exclusivity uh, yep. in, the, in, the, in yep. the property is a lot of times it's overlooked, and we make sure that that's always in the initial negotiation, that they can have an exclusivity, and if they can't have a 100% exclusivity, as we know, yep. that it can be defined enough that it makes sense for the practice, that they don't have a competing practice coming in next to them and you know that 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 their practices set up for success, right? And that's the, I'll tell you as we as we wrap, that's kind of that, you know, um, just that little point of wow, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you have experts and advisors to right. to help with those things. Right. Well, Richard, thank you for being with us uh, in this segment. We're going to bring you back for a, another segment where we talk a little bit more about those anecdotes, a little right. more conversational, and appreciate all of the the basics and the and the you know just the things that we need to be thinking about from a, a technical standpoint as it relates to our our real estate in the healthcare space. Um, uh, it is it's it's an ever moving target. Right. And that's why we appreciate uh, experts like yourself uh, being a part of this. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad I could be here. Yeah. Russ, thanks again for Man the Board. My name's Jeff Dance. I'm the host of your Kasuf Revenue Radio, where we bring you ideas and information on how you can enhance the practice of medicine and uh, always maximizing your revenue within your practice. Thank you, and we'll see you again soon.